This is the Everything EV Podcast by EV Powered. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Everything EV Podcast, a weekly show that brings you the latest news, views and opinions from every corner of the EV industry. I'm your host, Charlie Atkinson, and in these episodes we'll be discussing everything to do with electric travel, so whether it be cars, bikes, boats or even planes, we'll have it covered. We'll also be speaking to people from within the industry to get their views on the EV space, as well as other features such as electric car reviews, electric motorsport coverage and much, much more along the way. This podcast is available on all streaming platforms, so be sure to subscribe to wherever you get your podcast from to receive every single episode as soon as it's released. And please do go back and check out all our other episodes too. This week, I'm joined by Dr. Sarah Ridley, the Engineering and Quality Director at Autocraft Solutions Group. Sarah is here to talk about Autocraft and specifically its work in identifying electric vehicle battery faults. In this episode, Sarah breaks down some of the biggest myths surrounding electric vehicle batteries and offers some advice on how to maximise the health of EV batteries, whilst also sharing her perspective on what it's like to be a woman in the sector and why we should be doing more to encourage women to join the EV industry. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be chatting with you today and I really appreciate you uh, coming on to, to speak with us now. We're, you're obviously here to talk about Autocraft and we'll come on to everything you guys do uh, a little bit later on. But I did just want to talk about your background to begin with, because before this podcast, I did have a little bit of a stalk of your LinkedIn profile. And I noticed you went to the University of Northampton, which is uh, where I went to as well. So I just wanted to start at the very beginning of your journey, really. And yeah, just get an idea of your background and, and how you got to where you are today. Hello, Charlie. It's a pleasure to be here. And what a coincidence. Um, I actually left school at 16. I did a a technician apprenticeship um, at what was Northampton College, which is where the university was when I went back to the university quite a long time later, Um, chiefly because my parents didn't believe in educating girls beyond 16. Um, But I was very fortunate in that my O-level year was 1984 and that's when um, the WISE initiative, Women in Science and Engineering, was launched and I was absolutely taken by that. So I got a technician apprenticeship and um, went to work at the Express Lift Company. So it's quite a long way from where I am now. Um, Absolutely loved it, went on and did some more work with them and and other people, but it was the engineering and problem solving that I really loved. Um, Then took a little bit of a break, just did a bit of uh, technical writing while I had our four sons. And when our youngest was kind of coming up to school age and I wanted to get back into it, I went to the University of Northampton to do a a manufacturing engineering degree, really. And I fell into remanufacturing by accident, is the honest truth, because um, the University of Northampton partners with local companies to uh, provide work experience years out. So I had just sort of effectively a sandwich degree where I did a year in industry and I went to a remanufacturer chiefly because I was older and I had my own transport and could drive and they were outside town and I have been in love with remanufacturing ever since I love the fact that what we get in our into our company is broken it's at the end of its life and we can go on and give it two three four five multiple lives doing exactly the same thing at a fraction of the environmental cost it still makes me excited today to have things that come in all sort of blackened and dirty and and slightly broken and what we put out at the end is the equivalent of a brand new and that for me is incredibly exciting and so to be able to extend that into ev as well it is hugely thrilling so i went from sort of 
finding out about reman all the way through the reman process and accidentally fell into doing a phd in remanufacture i know it sounds a bit mad but it is true it was an accident i met with some researchers who were making statements about what we could and couldn't do at remanufacturing and i challenged them because we were actually doing the things they said we couldn't they came to see us and we had a lot of correspondence i went through a lot of their papers and in the end they said come and do a phd so i did and it's just terrific and to be in remanufacturing here live and and doing it day to day is just still a thrill for me yeah, so that's quite a nice summary of, of Autocraft and everything you guys do. But I just wondered if you could expand on that a little bit in relation to your role within the company, what exactly that entails and, and also how that relates to the electric vehicle industry. Happily. So we started off essentially as internal combustion engine remanufacturers. Um, and there's quite a lot of reman in the automotive industry anyway. Um, but we started probably really about eight or nine years ago on our EV journey, because we are, as a company, we were constantly looking how we could evolve. And obviously EVs started to come in and we were starting to see, particularly the Prius, where with the older battery technology, where it couldn't really be reworked. And we were aware that more and more of our customers were talking about EV. So we started to look to see what we could do. And we started in quite a small way, uh, just exploring Firstly, what did they look like? Could we interact with them? Could we do it safely? And we became more and more confident that actually agnostic of OEMs, we could look at a battery, understand what was happening inside it and Im improve it in some way. So effectively a repair. Reman's a hard one with EV because you don't ever bring it back to completely 100% as you do with an engine, because obviously there's degradation from day one when each cell is made just through it being a, a chemical reaction. So what we we did was we looked for ways that we could make this useful and we became involved with the Recovas project. So that's an APC project. And that's looking at an, the material life from the very beginning of how we can get a secure circular economy on EVs in the UK. So that starts with the manufacture of cells, which we're not obviously involved in, goes through the building of the packs, the life of the EV pack and then what do we do with it once it's become degraded in some way and that's really brought us on in leaps and bounds and through that we've been able to really expand our technology that was a real turning point for us the APC project and so now on a, a volume basis for quite a few OEMs and both battery and vehicle we are able to diagnose faults in EV battery packs we can repair those and that that's down to a cell level if the architecture allows it it doesn't always unfortunately we can then also provide a good indication to our customer of where we think the next weaknesses are and we can then suggest what can be done and, and also give a good indication of what either range or capacity that will give uh, once we've made those repairs, we do do those repairs and we warrant them. And so we're actually now live up and running doing that um, in production for several customers, including now um, in Europe, where uh, the, it works very much in the same way as any dealer platform will work. The dealer can dial into our platform, can order a part from us. We will send the replacement plus the packaging and paperwork for them to send back the original um 
substandard battery pack and we will then repair that put that into stock for the next one so it becomes a sort of um a bit of a, a broom situation in that you can replace the handle and you can replace the head almost um ad infinitum which makes it a really sustainable thing to do it's really interesting to be able to chat with you today because as i'm sure you're aware there's a lot of misinformation that surrounds electric vehicle batteries on twitter and other social media platforms like that and i suppose there's almost this sort of fear of the unknown when it comes to ev batteries so i was just wondering if you could sort of clear a few things up about what are some of the the biggest causes of electric vehicle batteries you mentioned that you get these batteries they come to you they're black and they're dirty and they've got all sorts of things wrong with them so I was just wondering if you could give us a bit of an overview of some of the, the most common causes for an EV battery fault and, and almost do uh, a bit of a, a myth-busting segment for EV batteries. I'll do my very best for you. Within the business, I'm responsible for engineering and quality, so I have quite a lot to do with them at all the stages. So I think the first thing to say is that the vast majority of EV battery packs are very robust and last a good six to eight years typically is what we're seeing. So I think, you know, that that this myth of them being very fragile isn't true. It's like anything else. It, we're quite early in the EV journey. So the early life failures are higher than they probably will be in due course, but they're still not massive. That said, we see a steady flow of early life failures. So we typically see early life failures and they tend to either be manufacturing faults, which, you know, that this, these things do happen. So things to do with connectors, fuses, the way it's been put together. There are occasionally architectural things within the way it's been designed that lead to things like hotspots, so we get slightly higher degradation there. But one of the lovely things about what we do is we feed back to our OEMs where we're seeing the issues so that they can correct those things as they go forwards. So Early life failures tend to be either mechanical types is what I would describe it as because it's the way the battery pack has been put together or it's to do with the cell chemistry. And I think you because this is direct current, each cell is a little chemical reaction. And from the moment it's made all the way through its life, it is reacting. And like any chemical reaction, however hard you do to replicate it in exactly the same way, there are always slight differences. So typically what we see is where we've got one cell that's degrading a lot quicker than the other all around it. And it's like anything else, it performs at the level of the weakest cell. So they're typically the early life failures we see. And they're quite easily remedied. So we feed back all the time to our customers. In fact, with some of them, we actually do a lot of their initial work when they first set up their manufacturing process so that we can feed back all the way down to the chemistry level what we're seeing in the failed ones so they can improve their process. We then see the later life failures, and that's really where this pack have been charged and discharged repeatedly and things are starting to wear out in the same way as you would see things wear out in an internal combustion engine and we're able then um, to do different sorts of repairs for those so where we've got an early life failure if we need to change a cell or a module we will use a brand new one and we will then balance that with the overall pack 
It's really important to balance it because if you put one working at a much higher or lower level than the ones around it, you can cause an imbalance and that can cause other problems. So we very carefully balance it. Where we've got a later life one and it's been running for, say, five or six years within a vehicle, we actually harvest similar modules from packs that are beyond economic repair and we profile them so we understand their state of health we understand their state of charge where they can and can't get to what the age is what the use is and we can then look for a replacement within our stock that's had a similar sort of life what that does is it helps us to balance the pack overall and we can bring the pack back to the state it should be given its life and and its range so I think that's the first thing is that even where they're a later life degradation, we can still do lots to keep them going for a lot longer. I think what I would say uh, that everybody can do who has an EV is you can affect the way that your EV ages by the way you charge and discharge it. It's like anything else. Lots of rapid charging and rapid discharging as you put your foot down and go through the undoubtedly quick acceleration of the EV cars. Um, it takes a toll on the battery. So every time there's a fast charge and discharge, it ages it slightly more than if it's a steady charge or discharge. It doesn't mean you can never do it. It just means you can affect it by the way you both drive and the way you charge. I'll be completely honest, I've been working for EV Powered for about two and a half years now, well, coming up to just under three years. And batteries are one of the things I still haven't fully got my head around. I still need to learn more about them. And it's probably a message across the board as well, that we do need to sort of deepen our understanding of EV batteries. And that's why it's so great to chat to you today. And I know there's a lot of tips out there about how you can sort of maximise the, the life of your battery and sort of healthcare tips for you for your battery, I suppose. So I was just wondering if you could share any of the tips that, that you know through through the work you do of how you can sort of maximise the life of your battery and what, what can we do on a day-to-day -day basis that is going to really help us uh, get, the, get the maximum out of our electric vehicle batteries? That's the main one, to be honest, that you can individually affect. It, it is how you charge and discharge your battery. Um, we see there are slight differences in terms of temperature and how things are. But certainly in the UK and, and, and most of our European neighbours, certainly the close ones, we don't see the massive extremes of temperature that have a difference. And to be honest, they have to be reasonably sustained before they do. So we've worked very hard on profiling hours during the very hot weather we've had over the last few years and also some colder weather. And there aren't massive differences in in what we see so the biggest one is about how you charge and discharge it and that's the one you can have the biggest effect on as a a user of a, a vehicle do you know what i do actually have a, a sort of personal case study of an electric vehicle battery failing it was june last year uh i'd, I'd gone away for a long weekend over the jubilee weekend I'd, I'd left on the thursday and came back on the sunday uh, needed to drive somewhere and my I drive a Mercedes EQA and that was parked on my drive fully charged over the weekend and so uh, on on the Sunday morning uh, I got my key couldn't unlock the couldn't unlock the car so I had to use the sort of manual key to open it up uh, and the car was just completely completely dead uh, it had to be basically airlifted to uh, to the garage um, and so I've like I said I've got a sort of first-hand experience of EV batteries failing and 
Uh, I'm not asking you to sort of provide an explanation as to, to why that happened, but could you just give us an idea of some of uh, some of the most common EV battery fault causes and some other examples that you see on a sort of day-to-day basis for your work of what causes an electric vehicle battery to, to fail like that? For something like that, it's almost certainly to do with the way that the um, the wiring and the the connections are made because you wouldn't normally see a battery completely degrade so quickly without there being some form of either short or connection failure. So that sounds more like to me, like one of the more mechanical faults. Um, what we see in terms of the actual chemical part of it is you, what you, you actually see is the lithium and it migrates across the cells and it builds up and um, you can think of it almost like an ice buildup. And that effectively starts to reduce the capacity and it eventually short circuits that little um, part of it in that specific cell. But unfortunately, because most of them are are both wired in parallel before they're wired in series, what you see is a big drop off under those circumstances. I think where you've got those kind of faults, they can be quite quickly rectified and that's i think that's one of the important things is it's no different really for an ev car than if you had you need a new starter motor or something like that it feels bigger because it's the battery pack and i think we we none of us know about battery packs in the way we'd like to you know even i'm learning every day even now because so many things change We're, we're very early on in these things if you think we've had petrol and diesel engines for over 100 years this is no different from the first sort of 30 years of, of internal combustion engines. It goes back to what I was saying earlier about the fact that I've worked in the EV industry now for a couple of years. And probably in the grand scheme of things, I know very little about electric vehicle batteries. And I'd probably say I'm, I'm not alone in the industry there as well. So do you think more needs to be done to sort of further our understanding of electric vehicle batteries sort of across the board and ac- across the industry, really? Because it seems as though every day on Twitter, I'm seeing something about electric vehicle batteries or I'm arguing with someone on Twitter about how electric vehicle batteries are safe and that they're not just going to spontaneously combust. So do you think more needs to be done to to tackle that misinformation and, and also to just, like I said, further our understanding of EV batteries? And I think I understand that, you know, they, they can feel quite a scary concept because, you know, most of us, I think that's the thing, isn't it? If you're going along to a secondhand car dealer and you're looking at a, a petrol or diesel engine, you're reasonably confident when it turns on about what it should sound like, how it should feel. When it's a battery, you just don't know. And that's always very difficult, isn't it? So I think the first thing to say is batteries don't explode. Um, they do get very hot and things catch fire and then there's a build-up of pressure sometimes which can cause an explosion but batteries on themselves don't explode that's that's the number one thing to say and actually those kind of thermal incidents are very rare no help if you're caught in one I completely understand but they are actually quite rare so I think that's the first thing I personally think we should welcome education um, about how these you know battery cars work because it's really important lots of people as we go forward through the years will be changing to battery powered cars to i think probably as well eventually we will also be looking at hybrids so there will be small batteries but also um combustion engines fueled by different and alternative fuels possibly hydrogen or hydrogen fuel cells i think there'll probably be a mix of everything going forward 
and it's really important we understand what we can do and and how they work because there are lots of telltale signs before these things happen i think the the luton one is very unfortunate because it was obviously parked up for quite a while uh, and if indeed it was a hybridization part that that caused it then then that is unfortunate but again it's no different from your regular car it needs to be properly serviced we need to make sure that the people who are servicing it understand what they're looking at and can do a good enough test that they can see what's happening at each level and and those multi-layered tests are really important i personally would like to see going forward that it becomes um, a proper part of an mot test so that you have some kind of independent assessment of the battery health and that's really important and it will help again i think with confidence and Every time we help confidence in the market, people learn a bit more, they feel a bit better about it, and the take-up will be better. Because that's what we all ultimately want, is to get to a point where what we've got on the roads is as clean and as sustainable as it possibly can be. Well, that's what I wanted to come on to, really. I wanted to ask about how important the the work that, that you are doing, that Autocraft is doing towards that that overall growth of the electric vehicle industry. But as you said, if... If these tests become part of a regular service or or part of a regular MOT test, then it's just going to give people more confidence in electric vehicle batteries, isn't it? It's going to it's going to further that understanding. Uh, there's not going to be so much um, misinformation or fear of the unknown out there. So it's all going to sort of contribute towards that that overall growth of the industry, isn't it? It is, and I think you know if you just think about things that that have changed just in sort of your lifetime and my lifetime you think where we were with mobile phones i remember and i'm obviously somewhat older than you my husband having his very first mobile phone and it felt enormous and it had a great big aerial and you could make a call on it and now you've effectively got a mini computer in your pocket and that's not in that many years if you think about it and we're very early on in the ev journey but in actual fact, the, the EV technology that's powering your vehicle is not a lot different to the EV technology powering your phone. Because essentially, that is a little lithium-ion cell. Slightly different, but not, not hugely. And we're all really confident about having a phone. So I think it's a matter of having those reassurances in place, developing the story so people understand what they can do, how it works, and how we go forward but also i think building the sustainability story because that's really important to people so if you mine a ton of lithium you use around about two million liters of water to mine that one ton of lithium and if you assume an average battery pack of somewhere around 600 sorry 60 kilowatts then you're actually only making from that one ton around about 135 vehicles. That's not very many for so much water, and that's without any other, you know, sustainable metrics. So, but you once it's finished with its life at EV, the cell that that's made, or the module that that's made, is only actually about 70% is is about 70%, it's only used about 30% of its overall potential. So if we can get to a place where we can then move them on to a second and third life, way before we get to the point of recycling, we should recycle, it's really good, 
and actually build that second life into our expectations, then actually what we've got is a really efficient way of using those because we know it's zero emissions once it gets to tailpipe. We've used all the emissions. And then if we carry on using it for power storage, for all of those sorts of things, all the way to the point where it has to be recycled, then actually what we're doing is we are making huge environmental savings over the lifetime. And all of those things are really important for people to understand when they're building the picture of EVs. It's not just about the car. Yeah, it's a really good point you make. And to be honest, again, it's it's something I don't know a great deal about. I, I get asked quite a lot about the second and third life of electric vehicle batteries, but it's not my strongest subject. But as you said, it is, it's all building towards that picture of sustainability, isn't it, when it comes to electric vehicles? I think it is. And I think, you know, as we go through the the model of people using transport is starting to change we we do an awful lot of forward research because obviously it's important to us to know where things are going and we see more and more young people who don't want to own a car there are already schemes on the continent where instead of a little e-scooter you can actually use a similar app and get a very small individual ev vehicle and just essentially hire it for individual journeys so instead of a bike, it's a little car. We can see more and more it coming towards more and more autonomy, more and more personalised transport. And EV is really reliable for those short distances. And we we have a lot of, I, I see a lot of um, anxiety about range and about how far they can go and, and how long they'll last. But for most of us, most of our journeys are quite short. They're not, you know, we're not driving hundreds of miles. And if you are a driver who isn't going very far for each journey, they're an absolutely marvellous solution. It just goes back to that mindset, doesn't it? I mean, I have these conversations quite frequently with with my dad and with my partner who haven't quite fully come round to the idea of electric vehicles yet. And it's always the same old arguments of, of range and charging. I mean, the best one is, is my dad when he, he asks what range my Mercedes EQA gets. And I say, oh, about 220 miles off a full charge. And he says, oh, well, what happens if you want to, to drive to Scotland? I, I mean, I'm based in Northampton. What if you want to drive to, to Scotland? And I say, well, I'd probably have to charge two or three times. And he says, oh, in my two litre Tiguan, I can get there off off a full tank basically but in the 27 years I've been alive he's not been to Scotland once so it's a, it's a bit of a pointless argument and I, I suppose for 99% of people an electric vehicle does it, it does cater for their needs doesn't it so it just goes back to that that mindset change of, of thinking about how an electric vehicle can work for you. I think it is. And I think, you know, if you did want to go to Scotland in your car that does sort of 200 to 250 miles on range well actually what you do is you build in a stop that's perfectly fine. And the occasional faster charge to get you a bit further, it's not going to do it any harm at all. And I think that's the thing. We need to actually think about what do we use our transport for? And this is why it also extends to EV for not just cars, but for, for larger vehicles and for other transport needs. If you think, and I think this is where we need to be really agile with our thinking and, and what solution do we need for what? If you think about a very large and very heavy refuse truck that comes to empty your bins but that goes back to its depot every day after a relatively short life journey life i mean that can be that could be electric whereas a sprinter van that's going across the continent probably needs a different solution but that doesn't mean it can't be a sustainable solution so i think for me we are 
rushing to EV, and I think that's really important. It's really good that we do the EV journey. We need to do it. But actually, as a society, we need to think about what's the best solution for individual applications as opposed to just it's petrol or diesel or it's EV. And I think if we can get that level of thinking around it, we can really make a difference. Yeah, you just touched on the future of electric vehicle batteries there. And I wanted to come on to that. And I appreciate this is the the million dollar question. And I'm asking you to, to get your crystal ball out a little bit. But as you said, the industry is moving at such a pace and we're learning so much almost sort of week by week and month by month. But what do you think some of the biggest changes we'll see in EV batteries over the next couple of years? What do you think some of the, the biggest trends are that we'll see over the sort of short term and long term future? Well, I'll do my best crystal ball gazing. Um, I, I think for me, what we are seeing is a trend towards transportation becoming um, smaller and more personalised. So I think we will go further down the line of uh, smaller, you know, in, in terms of vehicle size, smaller. So therefore, pack sizes will be a little smaller. And I do also think we will come more and more to a, a kind of um, a drivetrain where you have a small alternatively powered engine whether that be a, a fuel cell or an alternative fuel in a combustion engine a generator a motor and a battery uh way because that gives the ultimate flexibility really you've got the ev kicking in around the shorter journeys and the stable speed journeys so i at the moment drive a hybrid not a plug-in hybrid but a a battery hybrid and that car is much cleverer than i am and so when I'm at a stable speed, regardless of what that speed is, it will kick the EV in. If I'm around town, it will kick the EV in. It will adjust how my engine is performing, what, which of my wheels are being driven by my engine and which are being driven by my battery, depending on what the conditions are. And I think that technology will become more and more refined. And I think what we'll end up with is a, a, a much more tailored market towards smaller and more personalised transport because everything we see indicates the market going that way. Fantastic. Now, I did just want to finish things up by circling back to the beginning of the podcast because one thing you said when we were talking about your background really stood out to me. It's that you said that your parents didn't necessarily believe in educating women beyond the age of 16 and then how you fell into the automotive sector and into the manufacturing industry. And so, it's been a big topic of discussion within the industry, hasn't it, about how we should be doing more to encourage women to join the electric vehicle industry and to join the, the sort of wider automotive sector. And so I just wanted to get your perspective on what it's like to be a woman within this industry and whether we should be doing more to encourage women to, to join this sector. Because as the host of this podcast, I'm trying to get more and more women on, on the podcast to talk about this issue and to highlight this issue. So yeah, I just wanted to get your thoughts and your perspective on what it's like to be a woman in this industry, first of all, and, and whether we should be doing more to encourage more women to to, to join the EV industry. Oh, very much so. It's why I'm a STEM ambassador, because I, I really, it, it saddens me hugely to think that when I first did my apprenticeship a long time ago, um, there were probably sort of nine, 10 percent of women in engineering and manufacturing, and it's not a whole lot bigger now. Part of that is perception, and it's about challenging those perceptions. There is still, I think, particularly around engineering, the feeling that it's, you know, um, spanners and overalls and boots. And there is a bit of that, don't get me wrong, but that's just as much fun. Um, but I think part of it is that. Part of it is we don't respect it as a profession. So anybody can call themselves an engineer. 
and that's hard I go into schools and I talk to young people and they'll say well you know if I'm a solicitor or a banker it's protected nobody can you know I'm a chartered engineer but to be honest you could call yourself an engineer anybody could call themselves an engineer without any necessity for qualifications and that can be hard I think for young people to see as a, a career particularly if they are bright and engaged but for me you can't see if you can't see what the role models out there you can't be it you can't aspire to it so the more we see women popping up in articles and magazines in things with schools all of those kind of things are really really important every piece of research that I have read every team that I have been involved in where it is a, a very diverse team not just in terms of gender but in terms of lifestyle experience all of those things, it's been a much more productive and exciting team to be part of. And so many more things get done when you have people with all sorts of different perspectives, whether that's gender related, neurodivergent, all sorts of things. It's just brilliant. And the best teams are the most diverse teams. So anything we can do to attract more different people into the industry we should be doing but I think that means that as engineers we have to stand up and say do you know how exciting this is it's absolutely brilliant I've been to parts of the world like Japan that I'd never have gone to had I not been an engineer I've done things and participating things I'd never have done if I wasn't an engineer and it's been amazing but unless you've got people standing up and saying that you won't get other people, to, young people to particularly, to want to be part of it. We have to say, this is brilliant, come and be part of it. That's all for this episode. Many thanks for listening. And if you liked it, then please do check out all our other episodes and be sure to subscribe to wherever you get your podcast from to make sure you get every single episode as soon as it's released. For daily news coverage, features and much more, you can also head over to evpowered.co.uk. Thanks once again for listening and we'll see you on the very next episode of the Everything EV podcast.